0: Father, we understand you are in control of all these potential crises that come up. We have no way of controlling them, but you are the author of what is right and what is stable and what is orderly, and we know that anything else is of the evil one. And we pray that you would help us to have our thoughts be orderly and full of wisdom and Patience and all of those things that we would need if there was an upcoming crisis of some kind. And Father, again, we don't know what's ahead, but you do. And we ask in the meantime, you'd help us just to focus on your word, keep occupying until you come, doing what you have asked us to do according to your word, and help us to be those witnesses in potentially dark times and in in areas that we never thought possible. Help us, Lord, to be your servants and your hands and your eyes here on this earth. And bless the word in Jesus' name. Amen. So speaking of ignorance, <clears throat> we want to be aware of what's going on in the world around us, whether it's a diesel shortage or there's shutdowns and there's a pandemic. We we just want to be aware of what's happening so we can adjust our lives accordingly. And, and looking through the lens of the Bible, we can make decisions. Now, it was G.K. GK Chesterton that said, without education, we are in a horrible and deadly danger of taking educated people seriously. I'm going to say that again. Listen carefully. Without education, we are in a horrible and deadly danger of taking educated people seriously. Now, we have done that in the country over the last few years. And also Benjamin Franklin, he said, being ignorant is not so much a shame as being unwilling to learn. So we have to constantly be pursuing knowledge, knowledge of the world, what's going on, knowledge of the Bible, never stop learning. I remember when I was young, I couldn't wait to get out of school. There's even a time I was sitting in class and I looked out at the clouds in Rosebank Elementary School and I thought, I can't wait until I'm out of this school and I don't have to do any more learning whatsoever. And then I graduated, it's like, learning is fun. I can learn all this stuff and it's beneficial for me. And and this is something that should never stop for any of us. And even Hosea, the Bible says in chapter four, verse six, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So we have to have a working knowledge of the scripture, according to Hosea. And again, as I just said, a working knowledge of the world, what's going on in the world so that we can live lives that are appropriate for those who follow Christ. Now, with all of that, I would ask Are we ignorant of what we are supposed to do, what we're supposed to experience, what we're supposed to be like as believers here in this life? Now, I can't believe sometimes it's just uncanny, the uh, things that are up, the pastor's perspectives, the food for thought thing that comes up. That's exactly what I'm going to open with is what was on there. It's like... Wow, Lord, I guess you want to tell us twice what's going on, maybe three times? Well, if you open up to the book of Acts, I'll read through it real quickly here. This is where we left off last time with those four things, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. I'm just going to read it to set the context of what we're talking about here. It says, the fellowship of believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so if we want to examine ourselves, if we are in the faith and we, what we should be pursuing and what we should be witnessing as believers and what we should be experiencing, the list is right here in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47. Now, I gave you those four things already. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer, but he lists nine other things here that at some point in time we should run across, we should experience, we should see as part of our Christian walk. Like number one, they were filled with awe, and I don't know if you guys have ever been filled with awe. Where there's a couple of times in my life where my breath has been taken away because of something i experience it can be a birth of a child it can be seeing your spouse and one particular time that just really stands out for me is when the first time i saw yosemite valley i couldn't believe what i was seeing when i actually came into the overview there and my breath is like it was hard to breathe because of the magnificence that i saw there And especially during the time of the early church, there were things that were happening that took their breath away, that it was unbelievable, it was amazing, it was something that was stark. And hopefully we have those times where God moves and we're filled with awe, like, wow, God, you are so good that you did this. Maybe you've had an instance where God has told you. I'll give you an example. God has told you something. When I was dating uh, Patty, We were going to uh, Calvary Chapel, San Diego in North Park with Pastor Mike McIntosh. And we had just been uh, a couple, so to speak, just for a little while. And I had this little Dotson pickup. And this little, it was mustard colored, and that was my vehicle that I drove around in. And I remember walking out of the church one afternoon, heading towards it, and the Lord just told me, Check your spare. And who said, you know, it's like, who's checked my spare? What is that? It was like the next day or the day after I come out and my truck has a flat tire. And I go, that was just random. But God, I believe, told me, check my spare. And I needed to have my spare tire ready to go. Just little stuff like that. You know, it doesn't have to be anything magnanimous that's out there. But little stuff, God will just speak kindly, direct us, prepare us for what lies ahead. And I remember just being taken aback. As soon as I saw the tire, just go, no way. (laughs) Yeah, I just couldn't believe it that God would tell me something like that so I would be prepared for the flat tire. And I was kind of in awe, not overwhelmed, but in awe. And also witnessing signs, wonders, and miracles. Now, I don't think we're going to see too much of this. Because we have the word. Remember, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. They want a miracle to establish something. We have the word. But if you go to some foreign country talking to people that have never heard the name of Jesus. I remember one pastor talking about this. He went to Vietnam and he had a group of about a 100 Vietnamese in front of him. And he asked them, have you ever heard the name Jesus? And they all said no. Not one of them had heard of Jesus's name. That would be an appropriate time for a miracle or healing to take place. Maybe somebody who is deaf or blind to have that restored. And that's where the miracles are appropriate because then people listen to the message after that. That's the purpose of those miracle signs and wonders. And then the third thing here, they were tightly, uh, they were a tightly knit group. They were knit together as a group, this church that was here. And... That, that means they understood the needs, cares, wants, desires, failures, problems of all of those who around them. They were in touch with each other. They also gave up possessions in order to care for others. That's what they did. Uh, when we give something to God, we're supposed to give in such a way that it costs us something. If you remember David in the threshing floor of Aruna when he offered the sacrifice there and Aruna offered to... Given the sacrifice he said, "I will not give to God something that costs me nothing, so it 's supposed to cost us something, and if we help someone else out, it should cost us something to help them out. Uh, they also met on a regular basis, meaning again, they were constantly in touch with each other. they did not forsake the gathering together of the brothers, as is the habit of some, all the more as you see the day approaching that 's Hebrews chapter ten verse twenty five and some people like to water that one down, they like to say. Well, you know, I go from church to church. I have an eclectic mix of where I should go, who I should see. And I I just kind of go around the term. I really don't like the term, but I'm going to say it: the social butterfly. Only they do it with churches. They go around to churches and they don't really get established. They don't really understand the lives of the people that they are fellowshipping with. And God calls us to do that. And I've always said, wherever you go to fellowship, sink those roots deep be like an oak tree have someone have a very difficult time removing you from the fellowship that you experience that's the way we're supposed to do it because we're supposed to be knit together and you can't be knit together unless you do that unless you establish yourself wherever the lord would call you they also shared meals together love a potluck it's all good uh, Patty and I are talking about maybe a, you know, a little Christmas meal for the church. Just getting together and chit-chatting and seeing how everyone is doing. <clears throat> and they worship God together. That's why we sing corporately. It's good to make merry in your heart, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in your heart, and, and glorify God. That's all good. Listen to worship music. That's all good. We're supposed to do that. But we are supposed to, as a body, corporately worship together. And that means we're supposed to sing. Not just, oh, there's the words. Yeah, oh, nice, yeah. And then your mind gets distracted. We're supposed to direct our worship to God and do it in a corporate fashion. Also, the Lord blessed their relationships outside the body of believers. They had favor of all the people, not just some, but all the people. We have a good report outside and a good report inside. And the last one, as they were moved to share their faith, people got saved and that's why the Lord added to their numbers daily because people would go out and share that's the corporate job of the body to go out and share we're not supposed to keep our Christianity in the four walls of this church we're supposed to branch out and be a witness elsewhere now so those are the nine things along with the four that I just told you that's what we should all be experiencing these things in combination or at least most of the list that's there They should be happening to us as well. When we were in Hawaii, and we've done this before in Maui, they have church on the beach. And so we headed out early, and we thought we were heading to Calvary Chapel in Maui there. But then we saw the park that they meet at when they have their outdoor service. And we just said, well, let's turn around. Well, it was another church. It wasn't Calvary Chapel Lakeside. And we sat with them, and it... It was a wonderful service, very much a distraction watching the turtles pop up their head in the water as we're watching the beach in Lanai, the, the other island that's over there. And it's hard to remain focused on the guy that's talking, but we did. But one of the unique things that they had, and both Patty and I thought it, it was beautiful, was they did not the hula. What do they call it when they do with the hands? You know, what do they call that? okay yeah that's what they call it i didn't quite hear but that's what they call it and these women they they had these praise songs and they were uh miming the words through their dance and it was like i understand what they're saying you know they would do things like this like god is talking we're supposed to be listening and it, it was just like wow that was incredible to see that. And so we went to church and we experienced the fellowship of believers and people were there from Ohio and they were Catholics and they were sitting next to us, but the church was a non-denominational church, which was there. And they were experiencing the same things that we experience here on Sunday and which all churches should experience. And you could tell they were a type group of believers that were there now going on with the story here that Peter says this is what they were involved in and by extension this is what we should be involved in and then Peter and John in verse 1 of chapter 3 they were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon excuse me now a crippled man from birth was being carried to the temple gate called beautiful Where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. Now, this temple gate, it is called the East Gate, the Mercy Gate, the Golden Gate, the Shushan Gate, and the Gate Beautiful. Now, Daryl, could you post that first picture? This is the picture of the gate that Peter and John went through. Now, this is not the actual one. The actual one is lower than this. It's below the surface that you see there. Because everything over the years, you know, when they've destroyed the walls and they they repaired the walls. And if you look at this first picture that's right there, you can see where they repaired the wall. Look at the bottom of the wall. You see how the stones are bigger at the bottom of the wall? And then as it goes up, the stones are smaller there. And this is an indication that that was added later. And so the wall, it goes down much farther. On the opposite side of this Temple Mount area, you can walk along the foundation stones of the wall, and they are huge. They're as wide as this room. They're 10 feet high. They're 10 feet thick. They, they don't know how they got them there, but it's just magnificent, huge stones. So you can tell that this area was raised. <clears throat> now, this is a significant gate that is here. This is where if you remember Babylon, you know King Nebuchadnezzar came in and he took captives from Babylon, took them or from Jerusalem to Babylon. And at that same time Ezekiel had a vision of the Lord departing and he departed out of this gate from the temple, went out the gate, angels were there and left and went towards the mountain just to the east of this or by perspective if you're looking at this gate You are on the Mount of Olives. And there's a Kidron Valley in between. And so the Holy Spirit left the temple area because of the disobedience of the Jews that were there. Now, this is also the area that the Lord will walk through when he returns. It says this in Zechariah chapter 14 verses 1 through 4. It says, The day of the Lord is coming when, you plund- when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured the houses ransacked and the women raped half of the city will go into exile but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city now this is during the tribulation period then the lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of the battle and on that day his feet will stand on the mount of olives so the perspective of looking at this you were on the mount of olives looking at the gate okay It says, Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives will split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving to the north and half moving to the south. So as you're standing from the perspective of this particular picture, looking at the gate, probably you would move, uh, from my perspective, you would move a little bit to the left where the Mount of Olives, where Jesus would um, come down with his feet touching the Mount of Olives. Then once he touches that, A rift opens up. A valley opens up an earthquake. Now, why is this significant? Well, before I get to that, this gate was prophesied to remain shut. That's why it's all boarded up. In Ezekiel chapter 44, verses 1 through 3, it says, Then the man brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, the one facing east. It was shut. The Lord said to me, this gate is to remain shut. Now, the reason it's to remain shut is because the Jews have taught over the years that this is the gate that the Messiah will walk through based on Zechariah chapter 14. Now, why was it closed up? How did it get closed up over here? Well, it was directed to be closed up. Uh, If if you go back to the Islam, the creation of Islam and Muhammad, the prophet Muhammad, he died in 632, but the Muslims took control of Jerusalem in 637 and the Islamic leaders commissioned the building of the Dome of the Rock in 685 and they uh, hold that area and they knew of the prophecy that the Messiah would come through that gate. So they thought, what can we do to prevent that? Well, first, seal it up. The second thing, put a graveyard. It's a Muslim graveyard right in front of that uh, gateway right there. And somebody who is a priest, somebody who is a Levite, cannot go anywhere near a dead body. So they theorized in their head, let's put a graveyard there and seal up the gate. That'll surely stop them. <laughs> no. He's just going to split the land and then he's going to walk through and that's how he's going to do it. The plans of God cannot be thwarted. Now, this Temple Mount area, can you put up the next picture that we got Mm -hmm. there? Okay, now this is the inside of the gate. Now, something I want you to notice is those are steps that lead down to the gate, but it's deeper than that that the gate that Jesus would have walked through at the time. And remember during the time of Jesus, this gate would have been open. Now, it's significant because this particular gate where the temple mount would have been located... Do you have the one with the Dome of the Rock in it there, Daryl? Uh, okay, well, this this one will help. If you look at the gate... I'm going to walk over here. The gate that is up here is called the Golden Gate on the right-hand side, that black outline right there, and it's... Right in front of the temple. Now, this gives you a map of what is taking place on the temple mount. Now, that big circle that's right below that, that is the dome of the rock. I need to explain the temple mount and what's going on here when these guys, Peter and John, show up and heal this guy. According to the book of Acts chapter 4, this guy, 40 years old, lame, and he is in this gate, and it was his habit to do so. Which means Jesus would have walked by him because Jesus would walk through this gate to go up to the temple. Now, there's a lot more to that. But the temple, there's different views on the temple where it sets. Some people have the view that the temple sets where the Dome of the Rock is today. Or that's where it used to sit, Because the Dome of the Rock... There's a rock in there. If you walk inside, you see a rock. And the rock is 60 feet long, 40 feet wide. It's right there. And it was the highest point on this Temple Mount. Now, what the Muslims decided to do is raise the platform around the Dome of the Rock 16 feet higher. So when you walk into the Dome of the Rock, you kind of look down at the rock. It's not something that you look up to. So they raise that whole platform that is up there. But the east gate or the golden gate or the Shushan gate would have been in line with the temple. And the wall on that side would have been lowered because it has to do with the sacrifice of the red heifer. And that would be over the Mount of Olives. And you'd be able to stand in the temple, look out through that gate or right over the wall. And you'd be able to see the sacrifice over there. That is also the gate in which in Yom Kippur you had the two goats. One goat would go out through that gate and it would be a direct line and they would be released into the wilderness going all the way down to Jericho and all the way over towards Jordan. That's the setup that's there. Now the Temple Mount area, if you look at that small red square inside of the temple, that would have been the Holy of Holies. If you go there today, you would see what is known as, and did I send that to you, the Dome of the Spirit's? I didn't send that one to you. <clears throat> okay, there's this little get up. It's, it's, uh, it's a little dome and it's probably 10 feet in diameter, and you can actually stand in it. And they think that is where the Holy of Holy was, and it's right in line with the East Gate. The Jews won't go up there because they fear that they'll stand where the Holy of Holies was. And so they don't. But the Christians get up there and go, look, my father's house. Here it is. I'm inside my father. And they walk all around it, you know, and it's okay. And if you look directly east, you see the Golden Gate. The Mercy Gate is what it's called. The Shushan Gate. All of these things line up that that's where the temple is. Now, I believe that's where the temple needs to be in the future when it's built. I don't believe the Dome of the Rock is going to interfere with that because Scripture tells us that the outer courts have been given to the heathen. And that would certainly coincide with the picture that you see here. But I'm not going to quibble over that. The Lord knows exactly where it's going to be and it's not going to be a problem. And so on the Temple Mount, if you could show the Dome of the Rock, uh, the other one that has the gold dome that I sent, I didn't send you the gold dome. Oh, shame on me. I should have sent that to you. If you're standing on the Mount of Olives and you look towards that gate from a wide perspective, you will see the golden dome of the rock, which is there. But if you look towards the left or towards yeah, towards your left, you would see a dark black dome. And that's the Alaska Mosque, which is there. And that Al-Aska Mosque is the mosque that they go to pray in, but the Dome of the Rock it houses what they believe to be the rock on which the angel Gabriel took Muhammad and they ascended to heaven off of that rock. It is also believed that that is the rock that Abraham sacrificed Isaac on. And the Muslims, the Islamic faith, they know Abraham. He is the father of their faith as well. And they would have believed that it wasn't Isaac that was going to be sacrificed, but it would have been Ishmael. They switched that. Oh, oh, there we go. I did give it to him. So, if you see the gate beautiful right there, the the mercy gate, the Shushan gate, and then you see the Dome of the Rock. If you had the temple lining up with that particular gate it's right in line that's why i believe the the, the gate lines up according to the scripture it lines up with the temple you can stand at the temple and you can see directly out that gate as if all the gates were open and so that's the dome of the rock the golden one there and if you look right to the left right there you see that black dome that's the alaska mosque now jesus when he was there the temple mount wouldn't have been quite That big. It has been reconstructed a little bit. And when you look at other pictures and the court that was there, uh, did I send you uh, the Solomon's colonnades? Did I send that to you? Uh, Okay, that that'll work. Now this is a picture, uh, a mock-up. If you go to Israel and you take a tour, they take you to this site, and this site is a mock-up of the old city. Uh, If you were to stand there, your feet would fit inside of either one of those court areas you could stand there it looks like it's a lot bigger than it actually is but it's a small and it's about the area the size of this room and you walk up to it, and you go oh yeah that's the temple that's right there so that's what you're looking at now if you look towards the left that is Solomon's porch that's up on the upper story there you can see the whole temple or area from Solomon's porch and then if you come back towards yourself towards the Gate that's right there, that's called Solomon's Colonnade. This is where Peter and John went. Now, to back it up a little bit, Peter and John walk through this east gate. They get into the gate and the colonnade area right there, and this man who has been crippled for 40 years is sitting there. And he's begging for money. And he looks up to John and Peter. Asking for money. And what do Peter and John do? They stop and they stare at him. That's what's going on. And so the guy looks back up. Like, oh, some cash? That's not what happens. Let's see what happens. Going on here. In verse... I'll pick it up in verse 2. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. Remember, Jesus would have gone through this gate and would have seen him. And he didn't heal him. Keep that in mind. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. So they just stopped and they focused on him. Now, if you go to Jerusalem, even today, and you go up to this Temple Mount area, there are hundreds of people everywhere. I mean, just moving everywhere, going in every which direction. And so he goes on, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So he wanted them to focus, or him to focus. So the man gave them his, the man gave them his, their, excuse me. Let me say this again, getting so excited about this. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Now, I can't imagine what this guy's thinking. Walk. Uh huh. But a little cash would help, taking him by the right hand. So he says that walk. He reaches down, grabs his hand. It's like, give me your hand. Grabs his hand, pulls him right up. I'm going to tell a story. Over at Rise City Church, before it was Rise City Church, we rented it out one time. And we had this guy by the name of... Tim Barron's now if you're old enough you'll know who Tim Barron's was Tim Barron's was the morning radio talk show host on KBRT radio that broadcasts out of Avalon and he was as funny as all get out and that's why I listened to every day for probably a decade listening to him and he was good And they played worship music and introduced you know speakers well we brought him down and he was our guest speaker and we were over there at rise city church which before was another church and he was the speaker and he was telling us how he believed the bible and he said you know how peter and john they went to the gate beautiful and they took this guy by the hand and says silver and gold have i none but such as i have i give unto thee in the name of jesus christ of nazareth rise up and walk grabs him by the hand pulls him up He told us he believed the Bible so much he saw this guy in a wheelchair. Walked up to the guy in the wheelchair. Said those exact same words. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I given to thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I Take, Take his hand, rise up and walk. Pulled him right out of the wheelchair. Guy fell flat on his face. And I thought, I don't have enough faith for that. And you'll see that it's according to the faith but that's what he did. And the all of us are going, no, you didn't do it. Yeah, he did. He pulled him right out. And he told us some other funny stories like that. But this was something to establish God's word. And if you have... To establish God's word today, we have his word. We can just give it to people and we can be the apologist for that. So I don't recommend that you do something like that. Now, if the Lord tells you to, okay, I'm not going to tell you to stop and not do it. But that's what Tim Barron's did, pulled this guy up. Well, Peter, he gives this little speech, taking him by the right hand. He helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. It's like he never skipped leg day. The muscles just, they filled right out. The ankles became strong. It wasn't the skinny legs. You know, the legs atrophy if you were crippled. And they just became full and big. And he's he's never walked before. And we know, as we'll continue to read, that he's hanging on to the disciples. Why? Because he's never walked before. He's getting up for the very first time and walking. It's like little babies. You know, when they get up, they're very, Unstable. They do this balancing thing. The hips move everywhere. And so this guy, he is elated. He, he probably just can't stop. Just, woo-hoo, just yelling and holding on to these guys. And he's walking up through the colonnade section where everybody would be hanging out. It's a shaded area that's up there, especially in the morning time. But this is in the afternoon. It still would be shaded because there's a couple of columns and then a back area. And so they're walking up there. Let's see what else happens taking him by the right hand he helped him up verse 7 and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong he jumped to his feet and began to walk then he went out with them into the temple courts walking and jumping and praising God is this guy excited or what would you be excited you know this guy is just out of his mind excited and everybody in the temple courts and there's hundreds of people there maybe at this particular time thousands of people could be there and he's jumping and yelling if you were in the vicinity, you go, what in the world is going on there? And pretty soon, a crowd would be gathered around. Now, I want to pause right here for a minute. This man, according to Acts chapter 4, verse 22, was crippled for more than 40 years. Jesus would have passed by him, didn't heal him. And yet, he healed everybody he came in contact with. Now it's all about timing the man was a cripple he was looking for money the crippled man got what he needed and not what he desired from the people that would walk through but jesus didn't heal him because that's what he needed at the time and it was forestalled it was put off for a little while if you ever made a request of god and say god i kind of need your help now we understand God is not our genie. We, we don't take the Bible, rub the Bible, and get three wishes. It, it doesn't work like that. God does things in his timing, and with both blessing and hardship, those two things are in his timing. We should understand that God brings what we need and not what we necessarily desire. And of course, this was done to glorify God and to set the gospel right with everybody who would be in the temple court area. And we need to rest in the fact that God is in control and he knows what he's doing. But this goes to the ultimate question as to why. Why does God postpone things? Why doesn't he act according to our wills? If you offer a prayer and say, God, I really need this. I really desire this, not for myself, but for somebody else. Would you please answer the prayer? And You can plead with him. Even with tears, you can call out to God and God may answer yes, but most of the time it's no. You're going to learn patience. You're going to learn endurance. You're going to learn long-suffering. All of those things are necessary for us. What God's done teaching us those things, He takes us home. But this particular event, Jesus did not heal him, even though he would have most certainly have seen him. He did not heal him so that the gospel would have preeminence when Peter and John would speak to the people. Now, what if God does answer your request according to your will? What if you say... God, will you please grant me $100,000 and I'll use it for your benefit? And you go out and you win the lottery. Is that going to be necessarily good for you? Or could that necessarily be bad for you? And I've gone over the stories before of people who win the lottery. It just absolutely ruins their lives. Well, there was a guy in the Old Testament. His name was Hezekiah. Hezekiah was told to put his affairs in order and that he was going to die. And so he went before the Lord and he said, Lord, please, no. Bill's version of the Bible. And God said, okay, I'm going to grant you 15 more years. And he did grant them 15 more years. Now, because he got the 15 more years, he became filled with pride. He got his request. He became filled with pride. Emissaries came over from Babylon. Babylon. And Hezekiah thinking, look at all this I have over here. He took the emissaries from Babylon, took them all the way through the temple, everything that he had, all the wealth that was there, everything that was in the storehouses, showed them all. And because of that, later, the prophet came to him and said, because you have done this, you're going to die, and it's going to be a problem for Jerusalem. And what happened? This gave Nebuchadnezzar a reason to come to Jerusalem to ransack it where ezekiel says the holy spirit goes out from the temple all because god answered his prayer according to his will because god works everything out according to his will but he answered the prayer according to hezekiah's will so be careful what you think you want to ask for like if the lord tells you you're going to die for the believer it's like woo-hoo, graduation day we get to go but if you sit there and say no i want to preserve my life those who would seek to save their life will lose it and those who lose it for christ's sake will save it they'll gain life so we have to be careful what we pray for we always want to make sure it's within God's will and when he doesn't answer he's probably preventing something cataclysmic like this from taking place we have to understand again he's the one in control and if he doesn't answer it's okay remember Paul thorn in the flesh three times I sought after the Lord it was all to preserve his integrity, help him from uh, becoming, uh, or help him to resist from becoming prideful. All these things are done for our benefit. Now going on with the story. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So you have hundreds, maybe thousands of people gathering around. Because of this healing, it draws them over. Because of his excitement, he just cannot contain himself. Now Peter and John have a platform. A platform to give the gospel. Now we've done this in evangelism in uh, Ireland. We go to Grafton Street. We did the stomp thing with the trash cans and drumsticks and We got a gathering of people. They came over. They wanted to see what was going on. And when we stopped, we went to the people and we had an opportunity. And that's what you have to do usually with evangelism. If you're doing it with a group, you want people to come over. You want to have an opportunity to talk with them. And so you bring them over with something. God used this healing to bring the people over. Now, they were... In wonder or amazement, they were stupefied, dumbfounded, bewildered. They were almost in a trance like state. Their mouths would be wide open, their eyebrows would be really high, like, <laughs> and they'd be talking with each other. Isn't this a guy who's at the gate, who was just asking for money 20 minutes ago? And, of course, it is. Verse 11 says, While the beggar held on to Peter and John, remember, holding on because he hadn't walked before. He's jumping while he's holding on. All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Now, that's the picture that I showed you that was up there. If you want to put it up there again, it has Solomon's porch Up there to the south end of the Temple Mount. And the colonnade would have been right inside of the gate there. And the colonnade that you see on the far side is just like the one on the near side. So it's all shaded. Hundreds or thousands of people coming over. And here goes the message. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? I mean, oh, come on, Peter. Why wouldn't it surprise you? But he goes on to explain, Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Apparently, they were pointing to Peter and John going, Look what these guys did. And Peter's going, Hold on, pull out the steps. It wasn't us guys. I want to let you know who it was. And he goes on to say, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our father, says, Glorified his servant Jesus. You have handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disown the holy and righteous one and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. So he points to God, Jesus Christ. Here comes the gospel. He gives a little more explanation of what's taken place. And they're listening. Their ears are like pinched forward, going, How did this happen? What is going on? Who are these two guys? Did these two guys do this? What is the cause of this? And he goes, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that did this. But this is a witness to Jesus Christ. And he goes, you are guilty. First, he gives attribution to the one who heals. And it's a lesson for us to recognize. It's not by the power of any man or that the miracles takes place. It's no human effort that can bring about the miracles. It's not because of our righteousness in any way, shape, or form, that a miracle would happen. And the miracle was meant to point back to God, which it did, and he indicts them with four things. So they show up, they see this healing, and Peter turns to them and says, you're guilty. And so they're listening at this particular point, because it's a miracle. It says, you handed over an innocent man to be killed. And they're going, wait a second, now this is not too long after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and they would have known about Jesus the prophet. Secondly, you disowned him before an earthly authority. It was Pilate, and he would have released him. So the people in Jerusalem were witnessing this. Pilate wanted to release him. Pilate's wife said, have nothing to do with this, man. I've had a dream, and it's not going to go good. And Pilate's going, okay, my wife says so. I need to get rid of this guy and, and let him go, right? Then says, you ask for a murderer to be released in his place. Now, we've gone over this before, but in Matthew chapter 27, incidentally, I was listening to this on my headset uh, this last week. And in Matthew 27, who is the guy who is released in Jesus' place? Barabbas, which I think is an improper pronunciation, it should be Bar-Abbas. Bar-Abbas, and in my NIV that I was listening to on my headset, they said, Jesus Bar-Abbas. Because Jesus, that name is in the Syriac version of the Greek New Testament. And his name, his first name was Jesus Bar-Abbas Barabbas jesus son of the father that was the guy who was released but it was jesus the son of god who was the sacrifice why was that guy named jesus son of the father and just like jesus's name son of god Do you guys remember this and it's because on the day of atonement they would take the two goats and they would sacrifice one. The high priest would place his hands on the goat in the temple area, place the sins on that goat, and he would go out the eastern gate, the gate beautiful, the mercy gate, would go through that gate and go out. Barabbas, Bar-Abbas, was released, i he could have walked through the east gate. I would not doubt that that would have been his exit, going through the east gate. And who is Jesus? He goes up on Mount Moriah, the place of the skull, Golgotha, up in that area. And he gets crucified up there. I have a tendency to think that Abraham, not on the rock in the Dome of the Rock, but Abraham sacrificed his son on Golgotha. That's where I think he sacrificed his son up there. And that same area could have been the threshing floor of Aruna where David According to Second Samuel, remember what happened with that story. David took a census, and God came to him and says, uh, "You know, you're in trouble for taking the census." And He gave him three different things that could take place if he acted inappropriately: uh, three years running from his enemies, uh, three years of, or excuse me, three months. Uh, I forget what a famine or something and, and I forget what the three months was for but for the last one three days of a plague and he offered on the threshing floor of Aruna a sacrifice on that floor and that's where the temple area is and so all of that takes this is an important site up here. And if you go to Jerusalem, if you ever get there, you'll see this. And you'll go, Wow, that that's exactly where Jesus walked. I, I think I told you before, whenever Patty and I were walking around, she'd stand there, she'd look down, or she'd look at what's up there and she, is this authentic? Because there's so many you know how many churches there are where Jesus, the nativity, was? It was like three or four churches. Well, which one is the actual church? We don't know which one is the actual church. If we did, we'd probably worship that church, and people do. You know, they they go to these churches and they worship them. But this particular place, it's significant that the gospel is going out to these people. Peter indicts them saying, you are the ones who were guilty of all of this. And he goes on to say in verse... What verse am I on here? Uh, I'm verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that the Christ would suffer, and so they they did this through ignorance. And I'm running out of time. There's still so much more. So they they did this through ignorance. I, I guess if I close it up right here, and I'll I'll get to some more of this. I'll probably pick it up in verse 18 uh, this next week. But we want to make sure we don't make the same error that these people did. These Jews they acted in ignorance. Not only the people, but also Their leaders, and I'll talk a little bit more about that next week. They were ignorant of what's going on. That's why I started with this idea of ignorant. We don't want to be ignorant of what the Bible says. We want to make sure we're well-versed in what's going on there. We want to make sure we're well-versed in what's going on in the world. And you've got to trust me. These disciples knew exactly what was going on in Jerusalem, what was going on with the high priest, what was going on with the Romans. They were well aware of that because they were being persecuted. And so they kept tabs. The Jerusalem Post comes out and they start reading about, oh, look at what's going on here. And look, Ananias and Sapphira, oh, man, we've got to be aware of this stuff going on. And the leaders in the church, they were all aware of what's going on. And the people as well needed to be but they acted previously in ignorance. My exhortation for you this morning is do not be ignorant. Do not be ignorant and we make some grave errors through ignorance and we don't have to. And I'll explain a little bit more about that next week. But may God give you the wisdom and insight. May you dive into his word. May you devour it like you would a tasty morsel. Just savor it in your mouth as it goes down and works in your innermost parts. May God grant you the grace to deny the flesh. Because I know when I need to listen to the word, sometimes I just go, no, I don't want to. And and then I go, okay, I will. And I listen to the word. I'm always blessed when I do or when I read it or when I read books about the Bible. I'm always blessed by that. And I'm trying to avoid being ignorant. And so may God bless us with this ability to absorb this information and give it to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Peter and John, they were so faithful. That they went forward, and by the faith that they possessed, this man was healed. And by this man's faith, he received the healing. We would ask, Lord, that you would help us to do great things. As your word says, if we have enough faith, we can say unto El Capitan Mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, if it is your will. So, Lord, we'd ask that you would work in us, increase our faith, help us in our unbelief, and help us to do mighty works for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. And the church said... Please stand.